I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, folks. Um, Every so often on this podcast, we encounter a story that is just next level mind boggling. And uh, this episode is one of those stories. It's like something out of um, Breaking Bad. Um, and I'm so excited for you to hear, um, this week's episode, but before we get into it, I just want to preface, you know, in this time of, uh, of virtual hangouts and, and virtual podcasting, sometimes audio presents a bit of a problem. And, um, uh, this week our guest Samuel, uh, he had some mic issues on his end where, um, you'll hear, uh, in the industry, what's called clipping. Um, so Donovan's going to do his best to, to work, uh, work with that audio and make it sound as good as it can possibly be. But I just want to give you a heads up beforehand that, um, the audio quality isn't quite, um, as good as we typically hope it to be, but, Trust me, this story is so bonkers. Samuel is, A, not only just a good storyteller, he has lived through um, a really, really wild and and fairly traumatic event. And um, there's definitely a lot to be taken from this week's conversation. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we love each and every one of you and hope you have a wonderful week. And we will see you on Friday with a new Feel Good Friday. All right. Enjoy. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Samuel. He's a burn victim. Let's talk about it. Hello, Sam. Do you, do you go by Sam or do you, do you prefer Samuel? Either's fine. I slightly prefer Samuel, but, but either's fine. People kind of go between the both. I'm glad you prefer Samuel because you're the only person outside of... Yeah, and you're the only person outside of a Samuel Adams where, I, where I've had the, the opportunity to actually say the word Samuel. So uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this. Samuel... Uh, I am, I'm excited to talk to you today because I think we're, I think we're like, this is kind of a week of firsts for us. Uh, I think again, we are going to dive into something that I don't think we've ever touched on, on the show before. We've talked to people at length about, uh, unfortunate accidents. Um, and, uh, you know, oftentimes those come, come in the form of car crashes or, um, you know, once we talked to a poor woman whose parachute didn't open, but today we're talking to Samuel. And, uh, Samuel, you, I don't know. I I actually came into this one totally blind. I don't know anything at all, except that you are a, uh, you, you've suffered burns and I'm guessing they're probably worse than like the burn that I suffered earlier today, making my HelloFresh 
on the stove when I touched the hot pot. Let's throw to the HelloFresh ad here. Perfect. <laughs> and here we go. Roll the ad. <laughs> but is that safe to assume? Uh, you, you what, what kind of burns are we talking about, Sam? How badly? How badly were you burned? I was. Uh, bur- I had second and three, uh, second and third degree burns to my face and arms uh, when I was 15 years old. Oh Jesus! Uh, so, wow. so how many degrees are there of burns? Uh, one, two, and three. Yeah. Oh, so oh wow, three's the top. Yeah. Fuck Damn. me. Well, Were you making a HelloFresh as well when <laughs> that happened? <laughs> I was not. I was not. Brian, stop, <laughs> stop saying that about our about our advertisers <laughs> who aren't really our advertisers. <laughs> uh, when, uh, if, when like I, I feel like I always uh, because you know the degree of the degree of of burn that somebody gets um, or that somebody can get. I feel like it's thrown around in pop culture and like media and, and film and television and stuff. But, uh, I don't know if I've ever really been given the lowdown on what, on like what constitutes which degree and like wh- like where does it cross over and from one to the other. Um, wh- wh- what is, what is that? Like what, what separates, you said you had two second and third degree. So what, what makes the, what separates the second from the third? Hmm. Yeah, so the, it's just a deeper burn. Um, so for me, you know, the the where I got the third degree burns are actually under my nose here, and part of that was I needed to actually have skin graft to come in. It was burning through the epidermis and going deeper. So it's just a deeper burn as far as you know being able to. And typically with a third degree burn, they're not able to reconstruct in the same way. So for me, I had to get you know from my ear, they had to put a skin graft over it. Uh, the skin graft didn't take, then they had to do another surgery over that. Uh, so just kind of the, the level of severity is based on kind of what they're able to do and, and kind of reconstruct. Um, and so the deeper the burn, it's it's harder to do that. Right. Okay. So it's so it so it, it is that like where the classification comes in, like like the difficulty with which it it will heal on its own, or like with like how I guess how deep it goes then, and I guess that then results in how di- challenging it is where they have to do skin grafts rather than what rather than like the skin <laughs> like when you say under the epidermis or through the epidermis, is that the point at which the skin will not grow back on its own? because it's gone through to that level? I think so. I think so. I could be wrong. I think that's what, that's how it was explained to me was it was kind of, you know, you've got the first degree is kind of the shallow burn, um, you know, second and third. The third, I think is the difference is it burns through the epidermis and I think it's dead skin or you're not able to kind of regrow in that area. Right. And that's what, why they do that. Um, but that's kind of how they, it, based on how deep it, it burrows. And so I think the burns can go deeper in the levels of skin. I know the epidermis is like the first layer, but there's other layers of skin as well uh, <laughs> that it can burn through. And that's kind of what they base it on. There's also a difference of like the chemical burn versus a thermal burn. So mine were chemical mm-hmm. burns, um, but then the thermal burn, uh, you know, uh. is, is a little bit different. And the chemical burn that I endured, it, it kind of morphed over weeks. So there was a couple different, they would kind of change. It would change colors. It was hmm. now it's, it kind of settled into this red. You'll see kind of there. I look really, I've had a lot of surgery. So there's, there's some red uh, parts here and that's kind of what the, what's left over. But when it first happened, it was kind of black and, and brown and green even, and, and kind of, it just changed over a week, kind of in the, Whoa. in the first three weeks. Kind of a, sounds like a sweet Halloween costume. I mean, uh, you know, do, do DIY Halloween. <laughs> it sounds great. Um, uh, I, I have a, a metalineplus.gov, which is a government uh, medicine website. Uh, they they kind of break it down pretty perfectly here. The, there are three levels of burns. First degree burn affects only the outer layer of skin. They cause pain, redness, and swelling. So that's probably what I did today. Second degree burns affect both the outer and underlying layer of skin. They cause pain, redness, swelling, and blistering. Uh, 
They are also mm-hmm. called partial thickness burns. And then we've got third-degree burns affect the deep layers of skin. They are also yeah. called full thickness burns. They cause white or blackened burn skin. Ouch. And the skin may be numb. Uh, and then you've got, you know, they fall into two groups, which are minor burns and then major burns. And major burns are third-degree burns or second-degree burns more than two to three inches wide or second-degree burns on the hands, feet, face, groin, buttocks, or over a major joint. So those are All of your sensitive areas. It's yeah, just a, it's yeah. just a horrible burn yep. no matter what if it's that's, there. That's a major burn. <laughs> Sam, Samuel, I'm, I'm dying to know how this actually the happened. Story. And, and, I know. and it's funny because you, you said like you, you, you mentioned chemical burn when you were describing the uh, difference between second and third degree. And, and if you were like 40 years old when this happened, I would assume you're using beakers in a lab or something like that. But like as a 15 year old, how do you get chemical burns, um, on your face? What, tell us about the, the story of what happened. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a little complicated. I'll try to distill it uh, as much as I can and explain it. But basically, I was hired for a day to help move some boxes and furniture. I, I was 15 years old. I was a week away from starting more, my sophomore year of high school. Uh, so I was excited to you know, fit in one last odd job before the end of the summer. I'd been doing a bunch of odd jobs within the community and you know, was hired by someone nearby who wanted me to come help move some boxes and furniture. Uh, he described it as a job that we would be taking out of a nearby storage unit and bringing it back to his house house. But upon arrival at his home on September 1st, 2009, so more than 11 years ago now, the details started to, to change. And I, at the time, I kind of chalked that up to, well, maybe I didn't understand what the, you know, the initial scope of the project was, but as the day unfolded, it was a common theme of things changing. So, you know, mm-hmm. upon arrival, uh, this, the man who had hired me says, oh, no, we're going to go empty the storage unit, bring everything back to, to the house. And then from there, he wanted to take whatever was left over that he didn't want to keep in his garage and take it to a nearby uh, shed that was owned, I guess, by his friend. Um, and that's where that was going to be stored. And so we kind of go through the day. It's taking a little longer than, than it originally anticipated. It was supposed to be over at 1 p.m., uh, just kind of a nine to one job, four hours. You know, we're past that. Um, and actually, my dad calls me and he's um, a little concerned and he says, you know, I think it's time for you to go home. And I'm talking, you know, to my dad and the man overhears this conversation and he says, well, actually, you know, it's just ten, five or 10 minutes down the road. His friend's house is just five or 10 minutes down the road. So it's, it's not that much more. Right. And so that assuages my dad and, and I guess assuages me in the moment. And so we, I get in the U-Haul truck with the man and we go uh, down the road and five minutes becomes 10 and 10, 20 and 20, 30. And then it's more than 45 minutes and we've crossed County lines, and I don't know where we are. And it this is like getting so sketchy. Whoa, Holy shit! Dude. What are <laughs> you? What are you? What are you? Like what? Like, yeah. Are, what do you, you think, think you're getting kidnapped? Point. Like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> did he, this did is he so dump wild. you in a barrel of acid or something? Well, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't answer that question. Not yet, not yet. But but can I before we before we do? Can I just ask one thing, just to get a little more like kind of detail because this is fascinating, and I have no idea where the fuck this is going. What kinds of things were in this fucking this this fucking storage unit. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was, it was uh, like boxes, furniture, like an old desk, like you typical know, shit. Yeah. Okay. Like, like okay. Bins okay. And not, stuff, you know. not, Big not duffel bags <laughs> with like, with like, like leaking kind of a, a, a stinky blackish reddish fluid. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Fine. Yeah. Sure. 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 Shovels. Yeah. Big barrels. Industrial barrels. <laughs> Shovels. Yeah. Okay. So you're, so you're, Big so symbols. So he says five or 10 minutes down the road and, and now, 
now you're in the middle of a fucking road trip. Uh, what, what's, yeah. what's going through your head? What, what comes next? So I'm, you know, as, as I'm going along I and mean, my anxiety is just, you know, going through the roof. I mean, I, every passing mile, you know, again, it feels like we're, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't recognize my surroundings. Uh, and then when he takes this U-turn, so literally to get to where we're supposed to get, he takes a U-turn off the main highway to then go off the side road and go down this gravel road. Um, oh my God. You know, I'm just like, where are we going? You know, I mean, it, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I've never, you know, I'm 15 years old. I don't know what's happening. Uh, and, and he's not really saying much. We're just kind of going along and, you know, he gets to the top of this hill on on this gravel road, and there's this house that's there. Uh, and uh, he says, "Oh, we're gonna." He, he's gonna back the truck down, so he backs the truck down to the bottom of this hill. And again, this is like in the middle of nowhere. There's all these trees around, and there's a shed at the bottom of the hill. And we're greeted by his friend, who's the the homeowner. So this woman comes out, and she's got some, uh, you know, a couple dogs around her, and um, you know, we're, we're we're there. And she says, "Okay, well, let's put everything in this shed." So she shows us where the shed is, but when she goes to the shed. She opens the door and it's filled with stuff, right? To, again, same kind of, you know, furniture, boxes, all these things. So and we got to take all that shit and we got to now go <laughs> to another place to take this shit oh and put that there. God. So really, there's room for this shit this to go in the shit. This one's just a little bit further than this one, but 12 minutes down the road. It's really not going to be long. <laughs> right, exactly. You're like, oh, there's more. So she's, and she kind of seems, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, she seemed kind of surprised or like angry. I don't, there was some kind of, as she opened the door, it was clear there was some kind of emotional attachment there that like, it was kind of odd, you know, and you kind of get the sense like, oh, this is, this is bigger than just the shed, right? So, uh, you know, we end up taking everything out of, so we start with the things out of the shed and eventually a box makes its way into my hands and she tells me, toss it. That's kind of her instruction. And there's a cement slab that's a few feet away. She says, oh, the trash is going to come pick it up in a few days. So just put it all there. So I'm a few feet away. I'm, I'm six feet tall. And so I, I looked down in this box and it's books and hay. Like literally, like when I say hay, it's like straw protruding from this box. Mm. Open, no tape. It's just kind of your normal cardboard moving box. And I think this is really weird. You know, like who puts this in your shed? But like, I'm like, who judges what, what people have in their sheds? I'll just, you know, I'm, I'm just here to toss the toss the stuff. So I take it and I toss it like, like as instructed. And the second it hits that slab, you hear an explosion and it just rings out. And I see this you know, substance come flying towards me. I don't know what? what it is, but it's coming. And and I just like close my eyes instinctively and then it hits my face and it's just, it's overwhelming pain. I mean, it feels like Whoa. somebody's just taken a match and just lit it and dropped it on me. I feel like I'm on fire. Holy and, fuck. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's hey, sorry. What was it? So it was, what did you say? So did you say it was a box? It was a box with and, hay and just with hay sticking in books <laughs> and he just threw it and, and, yeah. The, clearly, there was something in there that fucking did not like pressure or did not like <laughs> Guys, being like fucking knocked about. This is the craziest story we've heard on Sick this Boy. Is, this, is top, this, this is top five. <laughs> this is top five for sure, man. This is fucking nuts. So it explodes. It comes towards you. You see it. You cover your face. Immediate pain. It was like, a is it Is it liquid or like <laughs> dust or like what? Like, you know what I mean? Like the, the substance that's coming at you. Aside from bits of hay and, and cardboard and, and, and book paper, like, is, is this like powder that's hitting you or is it like, um, or is it like, you know, like, like thinking of like a, a vat of acid, like, is it like, a, is it just like, like green, Jones like and, uh, liquid, just like, movie. yeah, yeah. Is it like just goop coming at you or like, what is it? Yeah, it looks like so, you know, and at this point, I don't know what this is, right? So this is going down and I'm seeing this mm -hmm. coming towards me and I'm like, I mean, it just looks like this colorless kind of like 
liquid, this, this liquid thing that's, that's coming towards me. And I just kind of see it um, almost as if you, you'd like jumped into a pool and you see like water coming towards you, you know, kind of splashing onto you. And so I kind of see it and I like close my eyes, it hits me and then there's just pain. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, kind of writhing in pain. I, I'm, I, it's just unbelievable amount of pain. Like I, I, it's hard to describe it because it literally just felt like I just walked into a firing, you know, building on fire. Like it just felt like yeah. fire. And, you know, eventually, so, so the man calls 911. I'm led up the top of this hill and I'm still, I'm not clear what's happening. Uh, he's on the phone with the 911 operator. She asks him, hey, what's the substance? He goes, oh, I don't know. So I, he, he says, I'm going to go down and look at it. So before he does, he hands me the phone, leaves me at the top of the hill alone as he goes back down the hill to try to find what this is in the box. And that was kind of the moment, you know, I just remember sitting there, you know, kind of eventually I fall to my knees, you know, I'm on all fours. I'm, I'm holding the phone to my ear. She's trying to call me down and kind of talk me through what's happening. Are you and, freaking? Like, are you, are you like, are, are you, I mean, I've been in a fuckload of pain a few times in my life. I'm like <laughs> where I'm screaming and I'm like, I'm like really fucking on the rivet. Are you, are you freaking out? Or are you like, are you like kind of like, this is fucking crazy. Like in shock. Like what's, yeah, I was I was mainly in shock. I mean, I've actually gone back, so I've heard the nine one one tape, and I'm it's amazing. I'm very like calm and collected. Like I'm, I mean, you could tell. Like I'll have some. I'm kind of crying out in pain at, at some points, but I'm like, mm. you know, very like collected, trying to listen to her, trying to do the instruction that she has. She keeps emphasizing the need for water. I'm trying to get somebody to put water on me. Nobody's doing mm. that. I'm at the top of this hill alone. You know, nobody's nobody's there. Um, and and so that's I'm just kind of really calm and collected, waiting for that ambulance to arrive. Um, <laughs> And finally they do, but, but it's, you know, it's kind of a good, you know, several minutes of just really feeling like this, I felt like I was going to die. I felt like that was the end. Wait, yeah. who, who are, yeah. who are these, or like, at least this guy, like, how did you, did you find him through like a classified or was he, he was a friend of a friend or who, who was this guy? Yeah. So he was just one of, you know, so I had like, there was a community newsletter in my community. And so you could list, you know, like, Hey, I'm available for such and such odd jobs. And they would like publish it every month. And there was, you know, 40 some of the names on there. And I was just the, the one that he contacted to come and do the the job that he wanted. And he lived like just a block or two away from my parents' house. It was in the same community. Um, Mm. And so I didn't know him before then, but it was just kind of one of those things that through the community had met, met him. And then the the woman I didn't know at all was a friend that that he had. Um, But Mm. so these are kind of two perfect strangers. I'm at the top of this hill and thinking, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, I thought that was the end of my life. I really did. I'm kind of grappling with that and, and kind of, you know, pleading and crying out that, that this isn't the end. Uh, so I'm getting, oh. I'm, okay, go I'm, ahead, Tay. I'm getting the sense that um, from a couple of things that you said uh, here that um, you know that you heard the 911 tape. A couple of the things that you said that I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but that's kind of struck me. Like, did this? Um, I'm getting the feeling that this event that this turned into a legal issue at, at some point. Is would, is that would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I, and, and in that, and in that vein, I, I, I don't know because I've been through some legal stuff. I know that there's things that you can say, things that you can't say, things that you want to avoid. So if, if, if there is anything that we eventually get to that, you know, you, you, that you can't say, or you don't want to say for that reason, then by all means. Um, but at the same time, I also don't want to ask a question that I think you're going to, that, that you might get to later, because I mean, I'm, I'm assuming like, you know, the, I think the most burning question that we all have is probably like, what 
the fuck is this stuff that got what's in the box what's in the box i'm assuming what's in the box i'm assuming this is like this is your seven moment this is it what's in the fucking box but 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 like in for the story's sake and if this does go somewhere where you want to take it and there and you and you can or or you want to talk about the, the the legal part of it and by all means you don't have to um and that is like a, a reveal in that story, then please leave it for them because the anticipation is building and I feel like I'm in a movie. So it's so like, by all means, keep it like, keep, keep us, keep us in the dark as long as you need to. At least, at least we know the ambulance shows up. So when they show up, right, like, how do they, how, how do they treat the mystery shit on your face? They're, they're like, so that, you know, they, they show up and they're trying to, you know, it's, I can tell right off the bat, you know, you kind of get the sense that they don't see this very often. So there's a lot of like, I can feel that anxiety on the paramedics, you know, just even as I'm going through this of like, there's a lot of like moving around. There's a lot of, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on. It's just chaos once they arrive. Uh, And it's, I mean, honestly, it was like the sweetest sound. One of the sweetest sounds I've ever heard is that, that when the ambulance, the siren came through, because again, I'm, I'm thinking that this is the end of my life and they come and I'm so grateful that they're there. So they immediately throw me onto a stretcher. They, They put me into the ambulances and I'll never forget as they're living, me up i'm looking around at all the trees that are surrounding this property and i remember wondering if this was the last time i was going to see trees if this was, oh, wow. if this was it oh, and so Jesus. we get into the into the they put me in the ambulance immediately they're trying to flush my eyes so they're they're they've got kind of what looks like a sink kind of a portable sink and they're just kind of repeatedly flushing my eyes they're telling me to keep them open they're opening them and it's kind of bothering me it's it's really you know like i'm already in a lot of pain and it's you know they're kind of fooling around with my eyes um but but i over here, so at the, we're waiting a few minutes because the the authorities are talking to the, the homeowner, and I gather they come and inform me as as we're in the middle of all this that uh, she the box apparently what was in that box was a glass jar of sulfuric acid, and it was stored at the bottom of this box negligently. Oh my god! Um, oh my god. And, and and they supposedly it supposedly there was a tape label on it that said sulfuric acid one percent. The doctors have said now that you know, in the preceding years that actually it had to be a way higher concentration because it wouldn't have voted me if it was 1%. But um, she said that it was her, it belonged to her ex-husband who was a metal etcher. And so that's, he used it for metal etching. And so that was kind of the explanation that was given. Um, she did refuse to hand over the box, so they never tested it. But they took her explanation as it was sulfuric acid at the bottom of this box, uh, just stored on top of this books and hay. Wow, Whoa. dude. Holy shit. Crazy. Crazy. So like, Whoa. like, Actual acid, a vat of acid. It was you, Brian. You were right. Yeah. It, I mean, like you know, he didn't dump him in a vas- vat of acid, but like pretty much, like that's so crazy. Like I, it, yeah. that is that is that truly is one of the wildest stories I've ever heard. And and one of the like one of the things that I can't help but think about is, um, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but but I I think it's like now's a better time than ever to kind of get into it. Like, um. That truly is a, that is a truly traumatic event. I mean, you know, like aside from the, aside from what comes after, like the, the surgery and the, the, you know, the procedures and, and, and dealing with like dealing with, with scarring for the rest of your life, like mentally, that must've been one of the most, I, I mean, mentally, that is one of the most scarring things that I've ever heard. Are you like, how did, how much how are you mentally like how, how, how did you, um, how much of your recovery was the, was recovering from like 
you know, did you suffer from PTSD from this? Did this kind of really fuck you up mentally in, in really severe ways? Yeah, that's a great point. It, it absolutely did. And that was one of the things that's interesting is kind of, you know, as I go through this, there's so much focus, especially in that initial part, right? They're just focused on the physical, you know, we're just trying to fix the, the you know, what's what's on my face, you know, I get taken to the hospital, they strip me naked, they throw me in a chemical shower, which is a trauma all into itself as well. You've got all these people, you know, milling about and putting you in there. And um, and then, you know, I they, they take me to the room, they say, okay, we're going to medevac you to a hospital in downtown DC, because they just weren't able to to, to be able to do that. Uh, and, and one of the really scar- aspects of this emotionally was, you know, there was a nurse that was kind of overhearing me talking to the man, the man was there and kind of trying to not trying to, he said a lot of really, you know, troubling comments, but, but kind of trying to make this is not that big of a deal. Oh, you could see, so it's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, and, and so, you know, over here, asked me if I've seen myself yet. And I said, no. And a nurse throws a mirror into my lap and says, oh, well, why don't you have a look? And so my first look at myself is, 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 you know, not with social worker, not with psychiatrist. It's just, you know, a mirror in, in front uh, of my face. And I don't r- recognize who I am. Right. I, I don't know who the oh image reflected back to Maria is, is it's, you know, like I said, black stains, green, brown, like I, I don't even see my face. Um, and, and it was really scarring in that aspect. And it, so it kind of, I never, for many years, it's taken me even just the last, it's been more than 11 years now, but you know, for a long time, that's the image I saw every morning when I looked in the mirror, right? It wasn't, mm. I was my face skin. So people would say to me, well, you look great. And I would be like, yeah, but, but you know, first of all, it doesn't feel great even to this day, but second of all, you know, I still have that image in my head. So it was something that was very scarring and kind of, as I was, it took me a couple months to see it, but I was eventually diagnosed with symptoms of depression and post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, sought counseling and, and even was on medication for a time to kind of work through that. Uh, but it, it was, it was, it was a very scarring experience. I would have flashbacks, like I'd be in the shower, no I'd have a flashback yeah. of, of, you know, kind of like, I couldn't shower with hot water for, for a while. Cause I just would, the hot water for whatever reason would like bring that back and trigger me oh, and man. so there was a lot of like triggering things that happened uh that was part of this journey that it definitely did leave a dent in me mentally that took a long time to kind of work through and, and come out the other side but it was definitely a lot of years of hard work oh shit yeah, it is I'm, a- I'm, I'm number one i'm i'm sorry that you've had to been through all of that because i i can't imagine that that would be fucking a, a huge challenge to go mm-hmm. through all of that so i want to like acknowledge the the heaviness of of that <clears throat> excuse me but the the other thing I think of in that moment is like, you know, you, you like when you tell the story back, like there's sort of these these red flags leading up to that moment. But like really, you know, when you take that box and throw it, and you can see sort of in it that like there's these books and 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 hay, and it and there's almost like no way to know. There's there's yeah. absolutely no way to know that that's <laughs> oh what's God, gonna happen. No. And I just think of like the like the moments in life that we take for granted when we just do something so casually and yeah. there is no negative consequence to things like that. But then all of a sudden, like there could be these moments where like something like that fucking happens and Ooh. how it like sort of takes like the innocence out of life where mm. like you realize how in a split second things can just totally change and, yeah. and things Anything can go wrong. Anything can happen at any point and, and, yeah. and you know, not that we should not that we should live, not that we should live life in fear of that, but, um, you know, I, I, uh, listening to you talk about like the, 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 um, the psychological side of, of that experience and something that, um, that I experienced about a year and a half ago, I was hit by a car, um, Mm -hmm. going really, really fast on my bike and, 
Um, and I broke a bunch of bones and I was in the hospital for a week and it was all this, all this shit. But, and I didn't really think too much about the mental side of it until somebody actually like brought it up to me. And then I was like, oh yeah, like I am thinking about that. I am having those flashes in my head. I am, um, you know, and then when it came time to like be physically ready to be back on the bike, like that was challenging. And like, and how do you perceive traffic and like, like the, 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 flashes of the experience in your head and and it's not really um yeah when it's something so obviously physical like the the like 99% of the attention goes to that and um yeah. and it is like really important to acknowledge that i mean especially I, I was i was 29 when that happened or 28 um as a 15 year old you know that shit can yeah. that like you're still being very much molded psychologically, uh, um, and like who you are and like how that impacts you is, um, um, is, uh, is really big. But, but I think there was something that you said there, Brian, I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit, but it was something along those lines of like how, like anything, anything can happen Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and how, how important it is to when something like that happens to you, that, that makes you realize that anything can happen at any moment to, to like, to kind of take that and like put it in a little box and like, yeah. Like Compartmentalize that one. Put it on the yeah. shelf. And yeah. because you know, like it could yeah. be, and, and I like speak like from speaking from my experience, it was, it was, Oh, like if I let that thought, which was very much at the forefront of my mind for a while, if I let that thought like take hold and dig and, and like grow roots, then that will have an impact on everything that I do for the rest mm. of my life. Yeah. Um, and the importance of like, of recognizing that and see, and you know, when you go through something traumatic like that, which I recognize as well, easier said, easier said than done. Um, what was the process like for, for the mental, uh, aspect of it? Did you see a psychologist and, uh, like how did that, how did, how did that end up getting worked through or worked on? Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So I, I went to a psychiatrist for uh, several years, actually, went to, went to therapy for a long time. And, you know, the first step of that, it felt kind of like an admission of weakness, right? And I was really hesitant to do that, mm. to take that step. And I know so many people suffer with that same kind of mindset. And, you know, it was just so I, I needed it. I needed it. I couldn't sleep at night. I had insomnia. I had all these symptoms. And so, you know, going really changed my life. And what, what part of that process was this concept my psychiatrist introduced me to that I've carried with me ever since is this idea of a toolbox. And so he encouraged me to develop the tools that I could add to my toolbox so that I can kind of combat some of the symptoms and some of the things that I was experiencing. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, depression being a wave, right? And you kind of see it coming on the horizon. And so instead of getting your feet knocked out from under you when that wave comes, you know, you're able to withstand that wave using the tools that you've developed. And so for me, the tools were, you know, the counseling sessions I was in, uh, which were really super helpful and really kind of helped me change my perspective and, and come to embrace my scars. Um, you know, part of it was, was going on medication for a time that I needed to do that as well. And that was a, that was a hard sell for me too. Again, it felt mm. like, Oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to conquer this on my own. And my psychiatrist told me, you know, it, that's kind of like somebody saying, Hey, I don't want to, you know, I, I have strep throat, but I don't want to get an antibiotic cause I'm just going to do it on my own. Mm. And so, you know, again, took that step and it was really powerful to do that too. Uh, and, and then also, you know, journaling, journaling was a big part of that, being able to write about the experience to find the word, 
words, uh, you know, diet, exercise were part of those those tools in the toolbox. And then, you know, sharing my story with others and, and talking about it with people I trusted, um, you know, and kind of trying to make sense of, of what had happened to me were all kind of some of those tools uh, that that helped me you know, get to that the place where I was able to come to peace with my scars and even embrace them. One one of the things that comes to mind after hearing all of that is like, you know, okay, so you you know you just you just express this story to us, and obviously the three of us are like, like, whoa, like mind fucking blown, you know, like I I think Brian's or maybe Taylor said like this, I feel like I'm watching a movie. There's something so cinematic to it because it is it 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 seems like an event that is. Um, that like that is made up. It seems like an event that's like so implausible that or that that like it's it's just like it it really does shock one to hear such a such a wild wild and unfortunate story. Um, and knowing <clears throat> that this is probably like a pretty rare thing, I'm wondering like how how isolating was that was, was the, like how isolating was the process for you in terms of trying to navigate your own mental health and, and maybe even your own physical health? Um, you know, like, did you, were you able to, uh, through, through whatever services you had at your disposal, like, were you able to meet other burn victims? Like, was there, was there some sort of, was there some sort of avenue for you to, express yourself to other people who have like been through something similar or, or, or did you just really have to rely on like, you know, your, your ride or dies, like your close friends and, and, and family? Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's one of the more unfortunate aspects I think of my story as well is it, it was really lonely. It was a really lonely time. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't meet another burn survivor until eight years into my journey. And, and when I came across an organization called the Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, which I'm a big time supporter of because they, you know, it was, it was great to be able to go to their conference. They have a, a world burn Congress that they do every year, which is the largest uh, gathering of burn survivors in the world. Uh, and, and it was cool to be able to be in a room with all these people who were just like me, who, even if it was, you know, different circumstances, they had thermal burns, mine was chemical, but still, you know, we all experienced the same things. Like, you know, is anybody going to love me? Is anybody going to want to be with me because of how I look, mm-hmm. you know, kind of those relational challenges and romantic relationships challenges. And, you know, I felt like it was something really messed up with me, but being in that room, it was like, oh, there's all these other people who, who've experienced it too. Uh, but for a long time, it was really lonely. And I, you know, as I went back to school, you know, the first couple months I was on homebound tutoring. So I was kind of home, like we're all doing now for the coronavirus, but it was a different reason back then, um, infection of, you know, being able to, you know, I would have, the irony is I would have loved to have, you know, this, this 11 years ago, like wearing a mask would have been great. I wanted to cover up my scars. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> 11 years too late, right? You know, yeah. you know, like, you know, I, I, not to make light of the suffering people are going through, but it's kind of like, man, you know, like I was a little late to the party there, but uh, you know, I would have loved to have that that mask around me and nobody, you know, I wouldn't have to get the questions and, you know, mm. I would grow a beard and then the beard would kind of itch against those areas on my, on my, uh, where the scars were. So then I'd have to shave and then it, you know, it just, it wasn't a great solution to kind of covering those areas. And so the mask would have been great, but uh, you know, it, was, it, it was really, it was, it was really a lonely time. And I felt like my friends, you know, kind of when I went back to school, they just kind of drifted away. Like nobody, I never got, you know, people always ask me, did you get bullied? Like, no, like, but people just kind of drifted. And so I just, it just felt really alone. And, and even extended family members, like even others, like kind of just drifted away or said insensitive mm. comments or, you know, there's a lot of that, uh, you know, mm. kind of going back into the world where people would just, it was, it was mainly adults who would say these really like insensitive things. And I had to, it, it left more scars, right. Internally as I kind of walked yeah. through that. And so I kind of felt yeah. really alone in that. I had to figure out how am I going to do this? Um, and mm. it was, it was really rare. I mean, it was, <laughs> 
a lot of people didn't know how to relate to that. I mean, even going back to school, like, you know, they had my counselors, everybody else, like had never had anything happen like this before. They didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, it was, it was a really, you know, unique thing. And, and it was something that I had to really kind of figure out. It was really just myself and my parents and my siblings. And, and we, you know, I just kind of kept going through and tried to find a way to, to keep surviving every day, even when I didn't feel like it. And, and, you know, there was points where I thought about suicide and had suicidal thoughts and wondered if life was worth living. And, um, you know, I was, I was going under surgeries a lot and that kind of, I would, out of those surgeries with the same areas affected. And so it would be kind of reopening Pandora's boxes or emotionally, because I would feel like all the same feelings again, because it would be the same hurt in the same physical right. space. And right. so it was just kind of like this reopening that wound. It was like, I never could heal. Um, I just had my last surgery three years ago and that was finally able to say, okay, I could put this away now and kind of move forward. But it was this, you know, eight, eight plus year journey of you know physical and emotionally trying to get to that place. I'd I'd love to get into that physical journey for to recovery. Um, but mm. my my last question about the the mental health aspect uh, of it is is like how early on did the the did mental health therapy become a part of the uh, recovery process? Was was it like very early on, or did it take a while to like understand that that was an important part of recovering as well? Yeah, you know, it was actually pretty. Thankfully, it was it was quick. Like it, it was three months after the accident where I went to a counselor for the or a psychiatrist for the first time, and then was in continuous sessions for years afterwards. So it was. I think I, that in some ways that was really helpful to me because I I caught it early enough. You know, mm. I gone through all of this and then went to to therapy and then I did for a bit do um, EMDR treatment, which I don't know if you're familiar with that as well. But they for for post traumatic stress uh, disorder they'll they'll do this EMDR, which is kind of the uh, and I'm forgetting what it stands for now. But basically, they'll do um, different. You'll sit in a room and they'll kind of use their finger and you'll go back and forth. It's kind of like hypnosis, right? It's that idea. It's not, but you know, it's kind of move the finger back and forth and whatever kind of pops into your head, you'll talk about. And so the the, the idea being that you'll be able to kind of have the distance necessary to get to the root of the feeling, right? So you're able yeah. to kind of talk through whatever's Whoa. in your head and go through it. So it was, it was really cool um, to be able to go through that and kind of wild. It was it, it kind of brings forward all it, sorts of things in your brain. Is it, it um? Do they do they play sounds and get you to track your like your eye gaze? Yeah, Brian. Right. It's eye movement descent uh, desensit desensitization I've and reprocessing. I've been doing that in therapy. Uh, really? I actually had a session today and did that in it. Let me just, uh, <laughs> eye movement desensit desensitization, that's a really hard word for me for some reason. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR, is a fairly new non-traditional type of psychotherapy. It's growing in popularity, particularly for treating post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, mm. Although researchers uh, research continues, EMDR remains controversial among some healthcare professionals, uh, yada, yada, of course. Uh, it's, uh, at first glance, EMDR appears to approach psychological issues in an unusual way. It does not rely on talk therapy or medications. Instead, EMDR uses patients' own rapid rhythmic eye movements. These eye movements dampen the power of emotionally charged memories of past traumatic events. Wow. That is so interesting. God, I, that, that you just opened up, uh, a, a whole fucking door I, uh, of of something that I, I i can't wait to like dive into this just, just so give you a quick quick idea of how how i find it works for me is that i notice that when so like if i'm talking about something that makes me anxious or feel uncomfortable i tend to look down and like my shoulders round mm. and it, it seems like more comfortable for me to like move my eye my gaze downwards so and then when i'm feeling um when i'm feeling like energetic and up and 
I feel good. I, I tend to to look upwards, and if if I'm being like sort of thoughtful or like exploring positive thoughts, I'll I'll look up and up and away sometimes. So we mm. use the eye gaze to like sort of look to just different spots, and it's it's almost hypnotic in a sense. But I notice that as my eyes start to travel, I just like my I, I'm just thinking about stuff, and uh, and I'm almost like thinking of stuff of like, what am I doing here? Like why? What am, what do yeah. I want to talk about? And then like all of a sudden something will pop into my head that I'm like, I'm thinking about this right now. And then like it it just sort of like opens the door to make it really easy for me to get to that place where I feel comfortable sharing um, what I need to share in that session. So I I've found it to be it's funny because like I have this sort of like weird sort of uh, skeptical you know um, voice in my head too where I'm like this is kind of a little bit hokey but it it seems to work every single time it just like gets me to that spot where I'm ready to share Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Um, so with your, with the, you know, you said you've had, did you say that you have had eight surgeries? Is that, did I, did I, I just make that up? Yeah, I've had more than a dozen surgeries, actually. Yeah, eight um, years over eight, eight years. years. Yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so when you, so what is it? And is is the is is the is the the amount of surgeries? Is it is it because new things emerged over that period of time that could like be that were better or was it that like you needed to do this and then it needed to heal and then you needed to do it again. It was just like a, rep- a repetition that you needed to do. Um, and like what, you know, I mean, you know, you mentioned skin graft. What, what exactly were the surgeries? Like what, what were they doing? Yeah. So it, it was this, you know, it was a little bit of, I, I think it was a little bit of what you're describing. Like, it, you know, so they would get in there and it would be, okay, we, we think we're going to, be able to solve it. When I first started going to the doctor, it was, oh, we could do serone injections. And then that way we can inject kind of the areas and that'll kind of reduce the density of the scars. Cause part of it, you know, the, especially uh, the, I had one on my forehead that was especially dense and it was, it was red. And so, you know, kind of reduce the color, reduce the density by the steroid injections. That didn't work out so well. I had a round of a couple rounds of those. Those were especially painful. Um, they would they would numb you numb the area with lidocaine, but it would still be so painful. Uh, but then, okay, we've got to do some reconstructive surgery. So so the area on my nose, they took some uh, skin from my ear and they put it under my nose because the problem was my right nostril was collapsing in on itself, and so they needed to be able to put something there so that I could breathe uh, in in that area. And the problem was that the skin graft didn't. Uh, take very well. So, mm-hmm. so then I had another doctor who went in and redid all of it, took away the skin graft, uh, and then created a new scar kind of along my laugh line here. So it's, it ended up being kind of the idea to, to create a new one, to be able to kind of take, it's a little bit of obfuscation, right? You're a little bit of your eyes drawn to this part of it, but it makes it a little thinner. And so you're able to spread the scar out versus it was all, it used to be just right in my upper lip in the middle, just really thick. Huh. 
So they kind mm. of created that new scar. Um, and then and then they also did some other, they were trying to, again, you know, uh, there's one on my chin, There's there was a bunch on my neck, and they were just trying to do, kind of tighten things up on the, on the chin. They tightened it so that, you know, you'd kind of be able to fold the skin together so that you'd be able to have a little bit of a less area that was scarred. Um, the, other, the other thing that happened, they did laser, I, I went under a lot of laser operations where those, they don't put you under for. So those are especially painful because they're taking a laser and they're literally kind of zapping your, those affected areas on your face and you're wearing, you know, protective glasses and you're kind of sitting there and they're kind of putting that down. Um, and so went through rounds of those, uh, and that didn't really have the desired effect either. And so the last surgery I had a few years ago was, um, uh, the surgery to do some touch up on those areas, uh, especially the one under my nose, on the chin, and lessen some of that. And then he, you know, one of the things that the doctor said, you know, it's kind of one of the things you could do it forever. Like he said, okay, well, there's some more we could do here. We could tighten up the the area again under the chin and do some, you know, kind of touch up work. But he gave me the option. He said, it's up to you. He goes, you know, my my burn patients get tired of getting cut open, um, so I'll leave it up to you whether you want to keep going. And by that point. I was, I was tired of it. I was tired of getting cut open. I was tired of the feeling of, you know, getting really excited before surgery. You know, a lot of these doctors is, you know, there's kind of this assumption in the, in, in the world. A lot of people would say this to me, oh, what they could do with plastic surgery these days, it's great. And it is, I, you know, it's, it's advanced a lot since in the last 50 years, but it's still not going to go away. And so there's not mm. this sense of like, okay, we're going to fix everything. And so you kind of get your hopes up. It would be extraordinarily painful. It would be a long recovery process. And it just came to the point where it just wasn't worth it anymore. Um, so, so in the end, I just said, no, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, and I think it's, it's a good outcome. You know, my doctor says I look like I got in a bad, bad, bad bike accident, not a, uh, uh, sulfuric acid burn. So that's good. He says, the only risk I have is that as I get older, because of the my, one side of my face was burned more heavily than the other, he says, it'll look like I'll, I had a facelift on the right side of my face. So I said, you might have that, you know, when, as you get older, you know, you'll be 60 and you'll kind of like mismatch yeah. face there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he goes, you know, I'll be long retired. So you have to find somebody else to, to deal with that. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, is, but... is, is the face, is the, like the face burns, is that where, is that where the, I, I believe that's where you said the third degree burns were, right? Is is that where the wor- like the worst of it really was uh, along the face? Yeah, that was where yeah. The, yeah the, the brunt of it, especially uh, on my chin and then under my nose, where where the mm-hmm. most uh, the, the worst areas. There's some on my arms here along my arms. There's one, especially one that uh, on my hand here. Uh, that one of the things that happens actually to this day is that though the areas will get, especially in the heat, they can kind of swell a little bit. So mm-hmm. you know it kind of can be uncomfortable. It can itch. It can feel you know kind of depending on the weather, um, kind of how it feels. So there are some long lasting things of this as well. But uh, for the most part, the, the, the face took it. The, the worst and that was kind mm. of the third degree burns were there and scar that, tissue is just like like scar tissue just sucks like i have some yeah. i have i have a deep scar tissue thing of scar tissue from uh from uh getting hit and like every so often it just sucks it's just like mm. oh i yeah. rolled over on it i it's like i haven't felt it in months and now i i just like rolled over and touched it and it like so painful or like you said like yeah. heat It'll just all of a sudden be itchy and my fucking scar will be like, I want to take my fucking skin off because it's so itchy. It's like, it's such a, it's such a fucking pain in the ass tissue to, to, to have. And like, yeah, it just, um, shitty thing to have. Yeah. It performs like that. Yeah. Shitty thing to have, but uh, great song to listen to, you know what I mean? Scar tissue. Yes. So good. Uh, 30 years old, by the way. Scar tissue is 30 years old. Yeah, 1990 or 91. So maybe wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, such a, a good song. bit for you. Um, uh, <laughs> Samuel, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I, you know, you, you kind of brought it up earlier about the, 
the fears that you that you had surrounding thoughts of like how will this affect my interpersonal relationships or you know like how will this affect romantic relationships um i how how has it affected you like has it affected your your dating life you're you're what now 26 i'm 27 27 okay so like has it you know did it play a big role in your in your own self, um, your own self-worth or your own self-confidence in terms of like putting yourself out there for, to, to date others? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. It, it, that was probably the longest holdout of all the, of all the things that I grappled with in the wake of this. That was something that I carried with me for a really long time. Uh, and it, it led me into a lot of, you know, that's probably when I look back on the whole experience, it's probably the thing I, I regret the most is I wish I had had the confidence in myself and in my ability to, to you know, not carry around so much shame and not lack in, in confidence in a way that led me into really destructive romantic relationships that um, left their own scars. Right. And, and so for me, I, I didn't actually date anybody until I was 21 uh, almost done with college actually. And, and then I had my first relationship. Um, and I was just, I, it was something that was in my head, right? I was just so worried. Nobody was ever going to want to be with me. Um, and, and I felt like I wasn't good enough. I didn't look good enough. Um, you know, nobody would want to be not only how it looks, right. But just all the emotional stuff that goes along with this, yeah. nobody would want to be with me and share in that journey. And so I, you know, I, I dated, uh, somebody, my, my first relationship was just really destructive and, and dated somebody who, what, what I, what I realized through a lot of the early relationships I had romantically were I would find somebody who, who, um, had experienced a lot of trauma as well. And we would bond over that trauma. Right. And before right. we asked the question, like, wait, like, are we compatible? Should we be together? I, we were just bonding over the trauma and we would reveal so much about ourselves in this early kind of really too early. Right. And, and about the scars that we carried. And then it was harder, you know, once the relationship would end, it was devastating. Right. Cause it just felt like you'd left so much on the table and that I, I, I you know, this person knew all these things about me and was walking around with less information. And so, you know, mm. I definitely had a few uh, relationships that were really, I mean, I think, I was on the, uh, you know, kind of a victim of some emotional abuse and, and just really, um, you know, really destructive relationships. And I stayed in some of them a little too long because I thought I deserved it. Like that's how I viewed myself. I didn't think I deserved anybody different. And so I really mm. walked that for a long time. Um, thankfully, I just actually married the love of my life a few months ago. And so that hey, was sweet. Uh, yeah. this wonderful, beautiful woman who uh, is is just unlike anybody I've ever met and, and has come in and um, probably understands my story better than the people who were there with me who experienced it. And it's just so kind and empathetic. And, and that's changed my whole view on so many things as well. But I really, you know, it's interesting. I had to get to that place before we met. I had to finally, I'd finally gotten to that place where I said, you know, I, I'm kind of done with dating. I'm done with this. I need to focus on myself. I need to get where I need to be healthy from a perspective of not getting in these destructive relationships. And we met probably about six months after that, that I'd come to that place and I wasn't really looking for it, but just fell in love with her from, from the start. And, and, uh, it's been a great love affair ever since, but it was, it was kind of getting to that place of saying, Hey, I deserve better and getting healthy myself, which yeah. also is, has helped our relationship because if I had met her five years ago, it, it probably would not have worked out mm, the way that, yeah. that it has now. That makes that, my heart that, smile. That old, that old uh, cliche, you know, like you, you can't. How can you love somebody else if you, if you can't even love yourself? You I, know? I'm, I'm curious. Exactly. I'm curious about that. Um, that that like, ex- was there a catalyst for, you know, sort of changing the way that you were thought about that, or or was that just like you know, growth and evolution that sort of happens over time? Um, that didn't, is there something that you can point to? Because I'm, I'm so curious about like moments of like that where people sort of have these, you know, profound realizations about 
their own self-worth or themselves in general. Um, was there something that you can point to that, that sort of sparked that at all? That's a good question. I, I think, I think for me, I, you know, I was, it was on the heels of coming, coming out of a, a, sh a really short relationship that was just, you know, it just didn't, it was a disaster from start to, to end. And we're just like, you know, I've got to do this differently. I mean, I just felt like it was just kind of one of those things where, you know, I, I need to be more in control of, of what's happening. And I think another part of this was, you know, I'd spent a lot of years, like I said, journaling and writing and actually had finally was, was putting the finishing touches of my, my book, uh, which was just published a few months ago, but, you know, finally kind of got to that, that, that process. Um, and, and finally Asterisk was like, okay, that. put that, <laughs> finally got to that process of kind of putting that story together. And then finally, you know, again, kind of, it was on the heels too of kind of having that last surgery. Um, it was months afterwards, but, but kind of feeling like that chapter had ended and, and kind of choosing to see myself as more than uh, my scars. And then the last thing I would say was, is probably, and I write about it in my book, the, the Phoenix world burn conference. I mean, it was, it changed my life and uh, you know, I was able to kind of see my scars as, as beautiful, right? Scars are beautiful. And, mm. and it changed my whole view of that. And coming back to that conference, I mean, I, I had never felt as, as at peace as after that point. And so I think that was really key to me finally saying, Hey, there's other people out there like me, you know, hearing some of the other stories of others who had struggled in romantic relationships. I wasn't the only one and able to kind of get those tips of like, Hey, I, I can do this differently the next time I'm in a relationship. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, that was kind of the catalyst of, of several months later meeting, meeting my now wife. So yeah, it, it really kind of came together. It was a confluence of a few things, but it definitely took time. I always emphasize when I talk to people and, and audiences or on podcasts and, you know, it, it takes time. This is, I'm, I'm talking, you know, 11 years afterwards. Right. And, and my yeah. life looks a lot better now than it did then. Uh, but it took time to get there. This was not an overnight thing. And so I always encourage people, you know, be patient with yourself, allow yourself to grieve, allow yourself to get there. And I think I was so impatient with myself. I had to get to these things. I had to find the, the woman of my dreams. You know, I wanted it. I wanted to find her at 22. I wanted to find her right after college and I needed to be patient. And I only had to wait a few more years. Uh, but in retrospect, if I'd just been patient and give myself the time to grieve, I think it would have been a different story. Yeah. It's pretty interesting how, I mean, it, it, it just is like a through line through, I mean, people who have been most, a lot of people who have been on the show, if not, if not most people have been on the show. And then definitely in the listeners of our show, like when we hear from them, it is often like, it wasn't until I realized I'm not the only one going through this. Like yeah. that, that is, that's, yeah. that, that is hands down. Like the, the commonality, <clears throat> Um, like the, 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 the most common, um, the most common thing that I think we hear with people kind of like turning the corner on, on how they perceive like their experience. Um, um, and I mean, it makes sense, obviously community and, and, and recognizing that you're not, you know, you're not alone. There's people that have gone through something that's similar to your, to you and that you can, you can benefit from that and you are not alone. And Brian's got a tattooed right on his arm. <laughs> and, um, and, and you know, I like, love quotes. Uh, I got to get those quotes tattooed all over quotes. my body. Is that, is that in, is that in cursive, Brian? It is, is that in a cursive. cursive, it, a cursive well, font? it's in, it's in Lori Brown cursive. In so. Interesting. What, um, <laughs> Um, Samuel, tell us about your book. Yeah, that, I, that, that, I was going to say this should be a book or a movie <laughs> that, at least. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that it yeah, is. Yeah, when's like is Steven Spielberg picking up the the movie adaptation? Like when that was that? not in the pre-interview notes, and I was like, book? What the fuck? You wrote a book too? Like, let's hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, so again, I, I you know, I had spent years doing this, right? So this was a long process of, you know, you write everything in a journal, right? It doesn't, I, I learned, okay, maybe this isn't 
all for public consumption, right? It had 120,000 plus words in this and it's it ranges from all my feelings. And so it was kind of that process of, cutting that down, editing that. And it, it was a painstaking process, like writing a book. Everybody says it's hard to write a book, but let me tell you, it's, it's hard to write a book. Like it, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was working, I'm working full time and doing that as well. And it was, it was a lot of work, but, um, you know, finally got it to a place where, uh, was able to tell, I wanted to be able to tell the story in a way that I felt like sometimes it's a little bit, there's a lot of complexity to it. And when I would tell people, especially in the early years, it, people would kind of get lost in the details. So I wanted to find a way to kind of condense it and, and, and get the whole story in there. And then of course, wait for the end of this story, which, um, you know, like I said, the last surgery was just a couple of years ago. So, uh, I, I worked on this book, uh, got it to this place where, uh, was ready to publish. And then, um, you know, COVID happens in, in April and I, I've been working toward this deadline of getting it out. And I'm like, Oh no, do we just hold, do we, wait. And so I remember being on the phone with my publisher and saying, what do we do? And they're like, no, I think, you know, go forward with it. And, you know, this will just be a few more weeks, you know, and you'll be ready to go once, once COVID's over. And then we're still in it. So, um, you know, I was like, oh, of all the twisted turns, right? Yeah. Uh, a few more weeks. Finally- what, that's where we all thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we all thought. What's, what's the, the lesson learned here is if anyone ever says, uh, it's just five minutes down the road, or it's just a few weeks, just fucking, just fucking pull out. That's it. Yeah. Tuck, and, tuck and roll. Jump out of the car. <laughs> tuck and roll. So right. I should have learned that lesson. I mean, yeah. gosh, you know, this happens. It's going to be a broken <laughs> collarbone instead of... Yeah. Instead of instead of a, 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 a fucking mystery vat of acid yeah. in a collection of books. Yeah. Well, Samuel, I'm, I'm, I hope you're glad that this is what we've taken away from all of this. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Tuck and roll. Holy fuck! What's the uh, Samuel? What is the what's the name of the book? Um, how can people how can people get their hands on it? Yeah, so it's called uh, "Can You See My Scars." It's uh, the it's That's on great Amazon. Title. It's also uh, in my uh, on my website www.samuelmore-sobel.com, uh, and people can can find information on it there as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's available on Amazon, and it's just been so cool to be able to get this out there. And one of the gratifying things for me was just the the number of people who've come up to who've read it, who've, you know, whether they've, you know, sent me an email, I don't even know them who've said, Hey, this really impacted me. You know, mm. I had somebody tell me that, Hey, I, you know, I've gone back to counseling because of, of what, you know, you said, uh, another, somebody else told me that they, you know, they, they saw the symptoms in themselves, uh, you know, the kind of the depression and the post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and were able to kind of say, Hey, I need to go to counseling. And they said, I never would have known if I hadn't read your book. So it's, it's kind of transformed this from this horrible accident that never should have happened into a redemptive aspect of people who, you know, are able to be touched by this. I, I've been shocked by the, the people. I was like, oh, is this just going to be for burn survivors? It's been a book that people of all stages, of all you know, walks of life who have who've contacted me and said this really touched me. And so I've just been really excited to get this out there and talk to groups. Mm. All of it's been virtual, but uh, I miss kind of being in person with people. But it's been great to just have that you know opportunity to share my story and impact others. And actually, a, a percentage of the profits do uh, I donate to the Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors. So there's that added, you know, supporting the cause that I believe in as well. So it's it's been great to have it out. There. People say it flows. It's, it's short chapters. I try to keep it, you know, short so it flows through. People say they read it pretty quickly, um, and so you know, even people who don't typically read can read it as well. And, and it's just been fun to be out there talking about it and just trying to make a difference with this story. That's that's kind of been the goal. Hmm. Well, man, I got to say this has been uh, this has been a real treat. I I I had zero expectations going into it, and uh, my <laughs> expectations were blown. Out of the water, we're blown out of a fucking glass jar of sulfuric acid, one percent. Like I, I, 
I really but, more but way <laughs> more percentage than that. Uh, yeah, it, like this is this really has been. Uh, it's been such an uh, like an honor to to get to sit down and and get to hear such a wild story, but but also to learn from from uh, everything that you've been through. So Samuel, I, w- I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to sit down with the three of us and to shoot the shit and to be so open to sharing your story. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on this. It was a blast to talk with you guys. And, and uh, I'm glad you guys could see some of the humor in this story as well, because there's some funny things that, that happen along the way. Um, so, you know, it, it's a good thing. I mean, I still, you know, I still live with it. I said, my, my wife kind of gives me a hard time because I'll, I'll wear glasses, like, like these big things. I bought these like, you know, super size, like, you know, goggles to put on my eyes to protect them. So anytime I'm like cleaning the bathroom or anything, because I'm so worried about my eyes. And so right. I, the other, last weekend I was like, you know, doing some scrubbing bubbles and cleaning the bathroom and they were like, you know, I, I freaked out. I thought I got some of my eye. I called poison control and they're like, you know, they're like, oh, you're fine. She should get me off the phone. You know, she's kind of like, you know, I'm like, no, 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 I got, I'm worried about my eyes. So my wife, this, this past weekend, this, you know, she's like, I've cleaned the bathroom now. You're done with the chores. Cause she's, she's done from now on. Nice. Any scrubbing, she's going to do it. So I'm going to try that one now too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah good luck. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, thanks a lot, Samuel. Thanks a lot, man. This is yeah, really thank great. You. Thanks so much for having me on. It was great to meet all you guys and, and love what you guys are doing and, and talking about uh, you know sickness in this way. It's, it's great. Love your podcast. That, that shit was... You the thought next. Breaking Bad was a fucking wild story? That sh- I mean, that shit had some Breaking Bad elements. I, w- w- like, when he was like, yeah, and, and, and we just kept driving the U-Haul and going going over county lines, I was like, this is some fucking Walter White shit. Yeah. And, just and, and up the crazy the twist and- about the whole thing was that we he, he, Samuel told us this off, the, off, off air after we finished, that he actually used to cook meth. And 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 he sold and he and he and he didn't realize that the old woman was actually one of his customers oh like God. back in the day and that, that the sulfuric acid was actually his and that it big was big twist that, big twist but he had you know he he, he was short on time so uh, so anyway, that's a, also uh, none of that is true uh, uh, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did because fuck that is, I mean honestly like really probably one of the top five craziest stories we've ever had on the yeah, show so wow. it was really really fun to t- talk with Samuel um, and. And please go check out his book uh, if if uh, if that seems like something you would love to to read through real quick. Uh, like he said, you can go get it on Amazon. Um, and if you did enjoy that conversation, just so you know, we are doing this every week, twice a week, Mondays and Fridays, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the CBC Listen app is another good place. So uh, feel free to go check out the pods wherever you get your pods. And if you have a story that you think can top that, top that, top that, then <laughs> go to Sick Boy Podcast. Oh, no, sorry. That's not the right one. Send it to letters at sickboypodcast.com. Uh, if you just want to tell us your tell us your story. And if you want to be a guest on the show, you want to apply to be a guest on the show and tell us that crazy story in person, go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact. And uh, and we'll see it. We'll read it, and uh, and maybe we'll and, have you on the show. And I just want to say again, too. Like I, I said this uh, on a recent recording, but like if your story isn't that caliber, just know that that's where the bar has been set. So don't even if if hey. you can't come in with content gold, content like Samuel's story. Content. Come on, now. then 
then go on with your bad self. Hey, everyone, <laughs> look, look, everyone has a beautiful story. Everyone is a unique snowflake. And your story, although it might not have the the highs and the highs and the lows and the lows of a of a very, very amazing uh, uh, five, six, maybe seven season hit AMC show like Breaking Bad. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm what saying, matters you know. is that you exist nah, you know. and that you have a story to share, and we want to hear it from you, no matter how exciting and how many explosions there are Sick or are not. <laughs> Sick Boy Podcast is produced by Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeff Lonis. The theme music for this show is done by Take Part. And the editing is done by Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.